This is Paper Napkin. I'm Kendra Rogers. If you've been listening these last few weeks, you know that I'm connecting with the most interesting people I know, and then asking them to connect me with their most interesting people and so on. On episode two, Jim Button suggested Avnish Mehta as someone that I just had to speak to. After our conversation, I could see why. Whew. Did Avnish and I ever go deep? Avnish is one of those minds that feels kind of impossible to contain, but you wouldn't ever want to. I whispered woe to myself for a few days after this conversation as I tried to process all of the deep wisdom that he laid down for us. I, he's a firm proponent of non-judgment. He has strong values and an expertise in meditation. And he has done things with his mind that honestly some people will deem impossible. So unpacking and understanding what that means was incredibly interesting to me. And I really hope that it piques your curiosity too. I'll let Jim introduce Avnish. Avnish, Avnish Mehta. He's connected to people spiritually and he's had generations of spirituality meditation. So the day I found out I had 15 tumors in my lungs, I went home. Chase and I, you know, shocked. It's a shocking day because I tell you, you've got a year to live and all these things. And so we were at home and I looked at her text and her text from was Avnish and I'll paraphrase it was, I took you into a healing session and I saw that you have dark clouds over your lungs. It could be serious. I would suggest you go see a doctor about it. Now, imagine receiving that when you've just been giving medical science has just told you you have lesions in your lungs and then somebody spiritually has told you that there's a lot of risk in him telling it and I could have, I could have avoided it. You know, life's like that, that came at the right time and I was open to hearing it and he was open to sharing it. And that sent me off a whole path on real connectedness and we are all connected at a spiritual level and there's an energy in the world and a collective consciousness. And so he's the other one because he looks at it from that side. Wonderful. Avnish, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kendra. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we just listened to the blurb about you and Jim. And I think your connection with Jim feels like a really strong connection. I have a few questions, actually. I'm really interested in the bit around what Jim called it was that you took him into a healing session. You can do infinite number of things when you're meditating or, or when you're in these cycles. And part of what we have been taught and learned was really using this active meditation for the purpose of healing. I have literally a laboratory in my mind that I go to and it's got amazing, comfortable couches and the greenery is really, really strong and I've got glass roofs and it's almost like a conservatory in the way that it's set up. And that's where I go to do my healing work. My specific training is in a, in a concept called Silva, which is S-I-L-V-A and really focusing on the alpha level of the brain, bringing your brain down to a pattern and a cycling that is... a, a, a bit slower than what we call beta. This is very much beta. We're both highly engaged. We're talking about very visual in terms of connection. Alpha is slowing your brain down to anywhere between 10 and 14 cycles per second, where beta is operating more in like 20 to 25 cycles per second. It's that meditative state that allows for the natural groove or the natural wavelength of universal information. But if you've ever played an instrument or you've ever sang, at the moment, the the tune is out of tune with each other, you can hear the variance, right? Mm -hmm. You can hear that. So when, when Jim was originally diagnosed with kidney cancer, this is a number of years back, I used to bring in Jim for regular sessions before he was going into surgery and things like that, just to boost him up, give him some protection, make sure that he was as healthy as he could be when he was entering major surgery and, and those types of pieces. Jim had been part of these healing sessions and then the one specific incident was the moment that it became more enhanced, especially for Jim. But it, it is very much a, a healing session where using multiple tools and, and different creative ways of being able to unlock and support other people's energy. And sometimes it's, it's self-healing. Sometimes I go there and I plug in deeply into what I call the oneness or, or the one energy of the universe and just top up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just outward. 
sometimes you need to have those moments for yourself to say, okay, I am just going to give myself a chance to heal and allow for my body to do whatever it needs to do in order to help the, the healing. I think we could probably have a podcast just on that because it sounds so incredibly fascinating, but in the interest of connection, I want to pull the thread around what you said about how do you share that? Obviously you had a very special connection with Jim anyways, but what did it feel like to send? It was a text message. Is that correct? Yeah. So where my, my frame of mind was or where my head was at, I brought Jim in. We were going through a regular session and then Jim left my lab and about what I think was 10 minutes, Jim returns. And the way that people enter my lab is actually through this grandfather clock where they like the clock chimes and it opens up and that's why they, that's how they enter. Cause you need an entry point. Jim came back and I was chatting with Jim and I was like, well, why'd you return? He's like, I just felt as though I need to come back. We did another diagnostic and another evaluation and I made these observations and the observations themselves in isolation, because we've been doing this type of healing work in the past, I have a legend and a record of if I see certain things, I know what they mean. Black viscous or oily substance for me is directly related to a cancer. Like that is a, a direct tie. If we're healing people that we don't know, and I see those types of things, then I know that that is a relationship. And, and, and there's a number of other indicators of what that looks like. There could be things like vitamin deficiencies or magnesium deficiencies. Some of them are very specific because you end up almost like a physician. You create a log of what it is that you see. So noticing this, as I exited the, the healing session, really, I, I had to really consider how do you tell somebody that this was the case? Not, not only the meditation and, and how the idea of visualization and, and creating this lab and the level of detail that it has, that's one piece, but just the idea of, hey, I'm not sure that you're in perfect health. This could be other things, but realistically, I know when it comes down to shading over the lungs that we're looking at either things like mold or we're looking at things like tumors. That's really the major consideration. And oftentimes they're tied together. I sat with it for a while. I sat with it a couple hours to say, how am I going to open this up or share this with Jim in order for him to be able to receive it and for me to also be comfortable with what it is that just happened. And that was it. I was actually at a library event and we were celebrating an author and I just sent him a note. I was at the back of the auditorium and it was just that moment where I'm like, I have to do this now. And I sent him this text message saying, Hey, I think about this. And, th and then immediately, and not knowing what the reaction was going to be immediately, Jim calls me back. And now I'm stuck in this auditorium. <laughs> like, hey, sorry, I can't talk right now, which added probably to the, the mystery and the complexity of it. But it was after I exited that, and then we, we started talking, and then immediately you did the right thing. You know that this was for the right purpose. It felt right sending the, the text. There was no hesitation. But I needed that time to evaluate to say, I, I can deliver it, but is the person on the other end going to be able to receive it? And what does that receipt look like and what could potentially be the, I don't want to say consequences, but the outcomes of where this is going to go. I, I had high levels of confidence that this was for the right reasons and it was the right thing to do. It's interesting that when you have some of this, you, you could have such confidence in the practice and such confidence in the outcomes. But when it is somebody that is so close to you, when it is somebody that has uh, an impact on you and has had a, a profound impact on, on multiple parts of your life, are you willing to disrupt that? Are you willing to, for what you think is the right purpose, suggest a change within that dynamic? And that was the part, I think, for me to say, how well do you know yourself to want to share that information out loud? How do you become an advocate? How do you stand up for the things that you believe in? How do you justify what you know is right? And with this framework, well, the only rightness here is the one that I just experienced in isolation, in my own space, how do you then bring it out to somebody else? So there was this potential intimidation of bringing it out. But the moment that it was out there, it was like, oh yeah, of course, this is perfect. You know then that this is the right trajectory. And Jim's like, hey, can we meet up tomorrow to talk about this? Absolutely. And then we ended up having a coffee all morning and discussing what does it mean and what could it look like? And I, I didn't appreciate the profound impact that it was going to have on Jim's life. I probably haven't reconciled that now. But the fact that I'm able to share something like that with him and have it inspire his own journey, it's pretty incredible. It's so incredible. And actually he shared it within 
the podcast, the conversation that him and I had. And he said that it came at the right time at a time when he was open to hearing it and you were open to sharing it. But I recall reading that story before on Gather with Jim on his blog. He's mentioned it repeatedly. It does feel like a cornerstone moment in his life. And what an impactful like you say, opportunity that you have had to intersect in a, in a way that is such an impactful piece of his life. We jumped right into the deep end, which I love. I have a bunch of questions and threads I want to pull from what you were just saying, but I do want to allow you some space to contextualize who you are. So that's the first question I always ask on this podcast. I, I jumped ahead and asked you a bunch of questions about Jim, but actually, if we jump back for a moment, could you share a little bit about what you do and especially about why you do it? I think I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate in the sense that what I do is driven by the choices that I get to make. And it's pretty rare in that you get to pursue all of the things that are true to who you are and, and what makes sense you know, to you as a person as you evolve as an individual. I mean, who am I at its simplest? I'm born and raised Calgarian. This place is home for me. I am really fortunate to have family spread out all over the world. I'm a combination of my dad's from Singapore, my mom's from Kenya. We're East Indian by cultural identification uh, and practice, but we are so fortunate to have folks and family that are deeply connected, very close, that are all over the globe. We've been traveling at very young ages to go and see them. And you think about the plan that was required for my parents to go back to Singapore back in, in the early 80s when there was one flight a week, maybe one flight every two weeks. But you're talking about a 15, 17 hour journey to get back home. But when you're there, you're going to spend a significant amount of time before you return. All of those things were now when we traveled, we were gone for significant periods of time. And then it gives you exposure. It allows for you to connect with the people that you know have influenced your parents and the broader community in those regions. Getting to grow up in Kenya and getting to grow up in Singapore and see these places, London as a great example, these are little pockets of home for us and they've totally shaped who we are as, as individuals and, and how we operate and, and all those other pieces. So professionally, I, I get to do what I think is really some of the coolest work out there is that I get to work with others to help them find their authentic voice in relationship to public speaking and presenting. And uh, presenting right now is really all about the online combat. How are you showing up in a 2D space where there is huge expectation for your ability to sh clearly share your ideas, overcome adversity, manage the barriers and like one or sort of technical barriers, but two are the perceived barriers that are placed on you because of authority structure or if the agreed upon culture is not open, how are you managing those barriers? Sexual orientation, gender, like all of these things that are true perceptions or perceived barriers for any of us to operate as our authentic selves. I get to do that in a way that people are presenting uh, and helping them find the sweet spot between real, genuine individual and then the content that they're sharing. So it, it's incredible because I get to work with some of the best thinkers across the world, TED speakers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, community builders, visionaries, folks who are saying, how do I bring this to life? How does this sound? What does this look like? And then we're bringing in communities of other individuals to wrap some of those individuals to help them achieve what it is that they're looking to achieve. It's a pretty incredible system to, to live in. I take some of those professional pieces. We've created a business around it, but it's what we do on a real human level is the ability to allow for people to be themselves, allowing for individuals to be the closest version of themselves as possible so that they're not getting caught up in how they present. They get more caught up in who they are and then the relationship to their information. And that spills into, as you can imagine, everything. All my volunteer opportunities, the way that we're raising our three-year-old, like all of these things now have a, a real influence on what that looks like. And we're constantly updating the frameworks that we're working with them. So it seems as though nothing is ever static. And I think that's a beautiful part of who I am is that I'm just responding to what I see as a need in, in the market. And the more and more I can help others be themselves, the easier this is gonna be for all of us. And, and that's where the magic is. When you see somebody find, oh, this is it for me, I get it. Now it just opens up. Now it's about infinite possibility for those individuals and you get to sit back and it happen. It's so cool. I loved what you said in, in the response 
pre this conversation, the question of what would you be if you could be anything? And you said exactly where I am right now, exactly what I'm doing. And your passion for what you do really comes across as you speak to it too. It's not what you do and why it's just the why the, what is a vehicle? It seems like to the why of allowing people to be themselves. And I think that's really beautiful. And I am curious how you connect, how you create a space that people can be themselves? Well, I mean, that's a really great question. It really starts off in values-based alignment. When we think about exactly about this why, how, and what, if we know the why, then the what can be anything. It can really be infinite in terms of what we can add to that what section. And that's the power of this. If we're stuck on the what, it ends up becoming restrictive into that one or two choices that we're making. We understand that why piece and and really that core principles, then the what becomes flexible. It allows for us to remove geographic barriers or potential perceived, you know, confidence barriers, like whatever that ends up being, if we're true to, to that core, for each of us as individuals, that why piece is a function of our values that we hold. If you're thinking about those three same circles, that the why, the, the how and the what, for me, it's about values, expectations, and behaviors. So your behaviors are your what's, the things that you're doing to show your values, but your values is your why piece. And if we can move to a space where we can connect on our values, now the judgments surrounding the what's or the behaviors become a series of observations. I can now understand why you would behave that way or what that behavior is rather than being like, what are you doing? And that's the judgment part around the behavior. The values piece allows for us to understand who we are within all of our differences. I think that's the big point is this idea of, I don't want to see the differences or I'm going to pretend as if those differences aren't there. It's like, well, no, no, let's understand each other at a core level so that we can appreciate those differences rather than create judgments around those differences um, or judgments around doing things differently. It, it allows for moving out of judgment and into observation. I can observe the behaviors, I can observe the what's. They may not compute for me or they may not make any sense, but if I can tie them back to a value set, at least I give you an opportunity for me to connect the behavior to a core belief. And then that way I can understand why it would show up that way or, or what it looks like. How do we do it? I think it it is so much of that. The non-judgment of who we are as individuals is core to our ability to then at least start uh, the conversation or start the interaction and the connection at a place where we already have common bond, where we already have a level of connection rather than this being like, okay, well, prove yourself to me. It's like, I, it, that doesn't matter to me. We'll, we'll start, we'll figure that out as we, as we go. And then on the flip side, those folks who can't hear that or are unable to process that are also going to be folks that don't engage with it. It, it actually naturally creates a space where you know that you're going to be able to attract those folks and you're going to do the work to ensure that that baseline and that strong foundation is there. But it also allows for you to be flexible with relationships changing or letting go of things or allowing for the natural evolution of uh, connection to take place. If by the nature of our values, now our behaviors don't line up, well, that's okay because if we still understand each other within our value space, we may be comfortable to say, hey, look, what you're interested in, what I'm interested in, or the way that you want to operate, whether it doesn't work anymore, but that's, that, that's okay as well. And I find right now, a lot of people are trying to hold on, especially with what's going on, to what is and, and what was. But the ability for us to be comfortable in that evolution across the board, I think allows for a space of abundance and will continue to be filled by the right folks that are going to come in to be able to support those relationships. So it, it, I don't think it's just me. I think it's when you do develop that space and you're approaching it in that way, by the nature of who you're going to attract, those people are also there to meet you there. So there was a lot to that and lots to, I think, think through. But the things that stood out to me was this idea of understanding each other at a core level, of being non-judgmental, and of making space for people to be who they are in order to best connect with them. Totally. And and you being who you are right now is also a powerful notion because that could change. 
So it's like, how do I allow you to consistently be who you are as an individual and bring that in so that it, we can hit the refresh button on how we're allowing each other to be our best selves. And that actually ties back to what we were speaking about at the beginning of our conversation. You mentioned when you were talking about the healing session with Jim and communicating that to him, that you felt this, this thought of, is the person on the other end ready to receive what I'm about to give? And would this disrupt or change our dynamic? And I think that actually that's not, that is a very specific example, but that's a very universal feeling. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. The confidence to be able to know and sort of voice your knowing is where that lies. It's like, hey, is this sharing your information based on research? Is it based on my own findings? Is it based on intuition? Whatever that is. But the ability to then share that out loud and be comfortable with how it could change the situation. And and it's almost tossing that rock into the lake and allowing for the ripples to happen. Those are the types of, at times, I think that we were, we fear the, the, the consequences of those actions that we limit our ability to openly share these types of, this type of information. And I think that my connection and sort of what happened with Jim allows for me to, I think, be much more open in relationship to these types of the considerations or, or the, the journey that I, I'm on, because you have somebody who is sort of receiving that and able to absorb it. And, and now I'm realizing sort of the importance of that within family relationships and other relationships to say, is this an open relationship? Do we actually have the ability to share information with each other and us be open, honest, vulnerable, truthful, all of those other things. And then also understanding the intention behind some of those delivery, where it's like, if the delivery doesn't land, can I then have some time to demonstrate the intention or the values behind why I think this is important in order for that person or for me to feel more comfortable in in that delivery? It goes back to this values piece of if I'm able to openly share that, now I can share with you the thinking or the chain of events or sort of the reasons why something is there rather than it being almost an imposition of a belief system, which I definitely don't want. Bring me in at the beginning, I'm an ally. Bring me in at the end, I'm a critic. How are you bringing people in as early as possible within some of these pieces so that you can do that evaluation? On the flip side, it takes a tremendous amount of courage, I think, just to do it. We were talking about CC on your show, but that idea of recognizing what your knowing and truth is and being able to share it out loud. And then on the flip side, what am I doing as a receiver to remove as many barriers for you to be as truthful and as authentic? That's a big responsibility that each of, each of us have. And that's what Jim you know, showed me here. I was so worried about the delivery and how it was going to be received that the moment that you know that you've got the right receiver then it opens up. It it changes the the, the dynamic. It's a brilliant perspective, I think, because it's a change in the dynamic in a positive way. And this idea of opening up to essentially more meaningful connection. If you can cross that boundary and move into something that has more depth and allow for the ripples is a great way to put it. Because in order to get to that depth, you do have to let a few ripples come up. You do have to throw that rock in and see what happens. Totally. And, and, and it's really interesting. I love being by the water. I love being in water. But even as a little boy and now, I, I love throwing rocks into water. One, because they disappear oftentimes, but also just that impact. You have that close impact. And then the further and further it goes out, the, the less powerful it is, but it's infinite. It just continues to move. And then there's a return of homeostasis. There's a return to where it was, but it's changed because you've added some rock into that water. So you may not actually see the change. You may not actually recognize the change, but there is a change. You've added mass into that space. It's those types of things to be like, wow, it's amazing that we can return back to where we were and believe that they were the exact same. But have we actually recognized 
the, the, the profound changes that may have happened. I suspect that that is going to be the journey that many of us are going to be on when we reintegrate back into societal action or societal interaction. It's going to be a huge piece for us to understand what has changed. Oh, I honestly, that made me get teary-eyed, Avnish. I think especially the piece around the ripples and then when everything comes back and is calm, you think that there's no change, but everything has changed underneath, I think is the most beautiful of metaphors for life and for the fact that things are always moving under the surface, under that clear surface. And when we think that things have calmed we're not necessarily considering all of the moving parts and yeah, the new rock that's underneath, but also the disruption that rock caused, positive or negative. And I think there's something in there around the importance of acknowledging that movement, the importance of acknowledging that disruption or that shift in order to move forward in our lives. Totally. And imagine if the reason for throwing that rock is because that's where the rock wanted to be. So it's not about Avnish throwing rocks in the lake because he loves it, because I do, but it's actually about the rock that sits on the shore wanting to return back into a place where it is surrounded by water or it wants to feel the friction of light sand against itself, all of those things. It's like now you're actually changing the dynamic for that entity. And so how many other sort of actions are being influenced not necessarily because we enjoy them, but maybe the observation of what we enjoy, others are actually influencing because they want an outcome for themselves. Now we start to think about the integrated connection of it and the positive rebalancing of a calm surface, but absolute joy because this rock is exactly where it needs to be. That's beautiful. I just love that. You've touched on it already, but I'm curious, to hear your direct answer to it. What does meaningful connection look like? It looks so different in all of our different relationships or it's a, it is such a great question because I feel like I'm having difficulty around the concept of what is a meaningful connection look like? Because I'm not a surface person. I'm not as you like we're just diving, you know, right deep into things. But it's like you're driving for the, it, it, it may be, it's not, I'm an extroverted thinker, but maybe it's not about what it looks like, but what it feels like. And, and we may be expecting it to look a certain way or it to have a veneer on it or, or oh, like this is what, what a healthy, meaningful relationship looks like. It's much the opposite where <laughs> my wife and I, as we were closing down the house last night and we were getting into bed and we we're having a tug of war of, of, of the covers. And then we, we honestly just burst out laughing for what was probably a good three or four minutes. And like, it was just nonstop. It's about 1130 at night. The whole house is quiet. And, and you take a moment and, and you're like, that, the, the meaningful connection there is about something that is so trivial. It was like something that is so everyday, but it was just how that moment intersected with where we were, what we required. And, and we were even talking about it this morning still, but it was just that moment where meaningful connection comes when we feel meaningful connection. And it doesn't necessarily have a prescribed way of looking or a way of feeling or sounding or any of those things. It's a matter of really understanding it for yourself. Why was it meaningful for you? And I'm not sure that we do that exploration. We can identify something as impactful and being like, oh, but how we really understood what is some of the, the meaningfulness of those relationships. What it looks like, to go back to, to the question, it looks like the right people showing up at the right time to get the work done. It looks like traveling around Thailand and landing up in Bangkok and one evening having, there were, I think there was like 16 of us around the table that had one degree of separation from each other from back home. It was driving down a random alley as we were returning from the Golden Temple and seeing one of our classmates from university who was walking back to his hostel that was tucked away. Like, it, it, like those are all of a sudden, it's like the meaningful connection now isn't about seeing Mike. I mean, it was amazing to see Mike. But it was just, think about the timing. Think about the intersection of that energy system that allows for that to happen. That is meaningful. We were brought back 
to a point where we were all connected together, it wasn't my drive for meaningfulness. It was my recognition of what that could look like. And, and who knew that? So sometimes the, the, what is most meaningful is the things that, that you don't even appreciate until they've revealed themselves to you. But that revealing has all, needs to also be reflected on. We can't just chalk this up as a coincidence or like, oh, well, that was kind of random. But it, it is that level of, of, of meaningfulness to say the energy that I'm putting out there is being received by others. We're on the same vibrational frequency. We are finding each other within chaos. But now that becomes truly meaningful. From a business point of view, in a real practical point of view, meaningful there is attracting the right types of folks to work with. Them showing up at the right time, that's the meaningful relationships. And they don't have to be rooted in depth and we have to spend tons of time together. They, they can just almost be a flicker. And that connection be so meaningful because it gives you the opportunity to evaluate your own position. I absolutely love that. And there are so many different pieces to that I love, but this idea, how many different things all happened at once to get you to that moment in, in that alley with your friend from university. And to your point, the energy that you're putting out is being received by others, but also this feeling of universal connection, that there's something bigger that is bringing us together. And you spoke of Cece, and I think Cece is a great example of that in that we may never talk on the phone every day, but we will always have the moments of connection that we have had and that will forever be impactful on my life. And I think the way that you put it around it being an exchange of energy, or maybe you didn't say universal connection. It just was the word that is in my mind. But I think that that piece is such a beautiful way to view connection. Thanks for that. Because I, I think it is because it allows for us to strip all this away. It, it just goes back to that non-judgmental, open, evaluating everybody for who they are. And it is very important to note that there's a lot of people within that evaluation that you're like, hey, thanks, but not right now, right? There's also other folks that don't meet the cut when you're, when you're doing these types of evaluations. And, and, and I think right now there's relationships that I've had since, and I, and I was sort of thinking about it this morning. So a good friend of mine that we've been friends uh, since, you know, junior high school, and we haven't talked for the last four years. And it doesn't feel awkward. I'm not sure that we're going to grab a beer anytime soon, or that there's not going to be a reconnection of the relationship. But there's a moment where you just realize that shift in where you are and who you have energy for ultimately changes. And it's not about the preservation or what was or holding on to the things that you used to have or striving for what else is going to come. It's really just about an objective, real evaluation of where you are. How do we, especially in traditional relationships, your parents, your partners that have such a deep impact on how you operate or the behaviors that you have, how do you reconcile when some of those things start to shift and change? And sometimes we tend to hold on to some of those things a little too tightly. Or when we're striving for meaningful relationship, we think that it needs to be in one way. And I think Jim is a perfect example of this in the sense that Jim has time for everybody. Like it is incredible how Jim is able to find the capacity, the energy, and, and, and it is so natural for him because he is that person. You allow for him to operate in the way that's truthful and true to who he is a person. And I'm sure that his relationships are constantly evolving. And, and I think about sort of Jim and I specifically, where when I see Jim, I know that there is nothing lost between the two of us. But we can also not talk for months and months and it not have any impact on the true meaning of our relationships. Sort of these, these two things where you used to have those friends where you can pick right back up or those connections where you can pick right back up where you were. And hopefully it's going to match up with where you are. And then there's those other folks where you're like, well, we can't match up there and we can't match up here either. What does that now mean to our relationship? That's for us to evaluate. And I think most of us are fearful of losing those pieces. We, we fear the loss and, that, and that's very natural, but that also is holding space for our status quo, not holding space for better and better. 
holding space for the status quo instead of for better and better. A lot of what you just said, I found so interesting. My question, I think sometimes to the point that you're making around relationships evolving and changing and that being natural and okay, there's this feeling that if a relationship ends or a relationship is not once what it was before or a connection doesn't feel as strong, but there was that strength before, there's a feeling that it is a shortcoming on you. And I wondered what you would say to someone who is feeling that way. A hundred percent. I think we do internalize those things. What could have I done? How could this have been different? Why don't I just pick up the phone? Maybe we'll break the pattern by putting energy into it. And part of it is, is like, well, why haven't you? Why haven't you picked up the phone in the last while? What has changed? How does it get any better than what it is right now? Because of the things that we've been exposed to, not only in our work, but just as what we believe that our future looks like. I'm in this in a situation where my values don't line up with my dad's values. And so now we're talking about a traditional relationship where neither of us are walking away from our relationship. That's not going to happen. Also, family as a deep connection point and the responsibilities that you have to family are deeply ingrained, have been well taught. I hear all of those, my obligations within it, my expectations, I, I totally understand all those things. But I can still execute on that and recognize that the values that we operate within are fundamentally different. How do I now be a caring, considerate, well-prepared, well-organized son, but still look at my dad and say, the way that you would approach things or the way that you would approach or how you approach some of these concepts are so fundamentally different because of what we've been exposed to that there's no point in trying to reconcile some of that stuff. There is now just a recognition that in that difference, it could create friction. In that difference, it could create discord. But how I can manage that discord, rather it becoming something, is what I'm working on now. Because I'm like, you have been such a massive influence in my life, but yet now I'm realizing that the way that we see the world and how we approach people or things are are very different. So it's not on and off. What we need to continuously evaluate and update and say, okay, what am I now bringing to this relationship in order to give it what it requires or needs or what I believe that is important, but still being true to who I am and it looking like the ways that I need things to be or I would like things to be. That's the element of creating or removing the barriers for communication so that we can have these discussions. We can recognize that we're not the same people So it sounds like part of it is also going back to what you said earlier around where we start to hold on too tightly. It is the ability to identify when you are holding on too tightly to a past iteration of who someone was, to an idea that you need them to believe and just loosen that grip a little bit and allow it to be what it is. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and, And loosening that grip now is also because you have the confidence too loosen. When we think about things like playing guitar or riding a horse or swinging a bat, I played baseball growing up. When you're first starting out, you're, you're just gripping onto that. And it's actually not useful. It, it limits your mobility. It limits sort of what you can achieve. Same thing with a guitar. You actually need the right pressure, but with massive flexibility and precision. It's interesting that we start off with holding on tight. It's that gripping on is a natural way of wanting to think about bringing something close. And you can feel this in in, in Kendra, even in your own body analysis. Like if you're thinking about certain situations, as you're going through meetings, just like take account of where your hands are at and and feel, are you applying tension into them? Really fascinating to see how you are shifting or where you're projecting your energy. And that holding on too tight, I think can relate to relationships, but it can relate to ideals and concepts and the way of doing and like all of the other things that we you know, tend to hold on to. But if we loosen it a a little bit, we actually have much more opportunity to react and to make a better connection. But that takes confidence. How tightly are you holding on to these things? And if you were to loosen that up a little bit, what would the opportunity be there for all of you, even though it might be actually less comfortable to be loose? Yeah, or feel less second nature. It is the the tendency is to tighten that up and to let it go and let it be takes intention. Intention and awareness. 
and it is just natural reaction. It, it, it is so physiological that you're reacting to your environment. But when you start thinking about perfecting things or we've got a drum set here that I've been playing for like the last four or five years, like so much of it was so, it's so stiff to start off with. And in fact, it is the more and more comfortable and calm you are, the easier it is to get into that groove. And, and I feel meditation and mindfulness is very much the same way. I feel like, okay, I'm going to do a meditation and let's go. It's not allowing for the, the magic to happen. And, and that's where we need to be. What are you holding on to so tightly? This may be careers, it might be relationships, money and energy and flow, all of those things where the moment that you're not in it, we get so worried about returning back to it that we never get back into it because you're so worried about getting there. Allowing for that to happen is the magic. And I say that not because I'm always there at all. It is just the recognition now. How do you get back to it? How do you know it? We may just for, for the moment not be in the in the right state of mind to recognize it. You're laying down so much wisdom for us and I am loving it so much. I wondered, you've touched on meditation a few times. How does meditation build connection for you? I think my inclination is that it's a self-connection, but I'm curious about if meditation and connection are interconnected in your mind. Yeah, I think so. The idea of having a safe space for myself is really powerful. I think that drives connection internally to who we are as individuals and into our emotions and into the evaluation of who we are as a full self. But I also use connection, meditation to foster connection, to ask for the right people to be revealed to me or for the right connections to show up or for the right types of healing to take place. And so all of a sudden you start now asking or seeking within that space in order to find connection, then it does. And, and, I, and I'll give you a couple of really interesting examples. In the last little while, I, I, I've really enjoyed seeing it happen where I, I, I was in a really challenging situation with, with a client of mine. And there was a lot of environmental conditions that were putting pressure on it. We, we couldn't, couldn't unlock what it is that we need to do. Everything was filled with friction. Everything was just, it, it was a bit of a slog through the whole thing. Um, very much like in that meditation, I went down to my lab, I was doing some healing work on some other folks. And then I invited this person to come in. We had an open and transparent conversation around what was going on and what I think should ultimately happen in this situation. And something that I could never tell them openly because of discretion, because of environmental conditions, because of the contracts that we signed, all of these things. But I'm like, I think you need to hear this from me in terms of the way that I see this. And the recommendation for me was that they leave the organization and that they find their own journey, that they are pursuing what it is that they want and that their dream job is absolutely available to them, but it's not here in the organization. We had this conversation and, and, and three days later, we were set up for our, our regular check-ins. We connect and <laughs> my client says, before you go any further, I got to let you know. So I'm done at the end of the week. I've accepted a new job. And I'm like, when did this happen? They said, Monday. And we were having this conversation on Sunday. And this is exactly the types of pieces where if we're trying to pursue connection, it may not happen in the physical. We may not be able to do this for, for multiple reasons. But if it's on an energetic level, I can be totally open and transparent. And what I'm trying to share with you is for what I believe is your greatest good then let's allow for things to transpire. And what was amazing, Kendra, is they were verbatim telling me things in our one-on-one -on -one that we were talking about in my mind, in our meeting together. And they were saying, <laughs> you're smiling. And I'm smiling because I feel like we've had this conversation before and I'm so glad that you're having this level of awareness. And it was just some of those pieces where now meditation and active meditation can allow for us to remove all of these barriers where we can have deeper and more meaningful conversations. And I can share with you things that I wouldn't be able to in a physical presence for all of the reasons or any of the reasons that I may impose on it or that society's imposed on it or that the natural relationship between us is whatever those restrictions are. It's those types of pieces now where this can have a direct impact on the connection to people then it becomes really meaningful because you're seeing the success of others. They are now having those ideas. They're the ones that are being 
influenced, the moment that you try to be negative in this space, your brain just moves up to beta. Your brain starts moving at a place where you can't stay here anymore. So this is rooted in positivity. This is rooted in the ability to heal. And this is that sweet spot. So it's like, well, could you use this as manipulation? No, because your brain actually takes you out of the, the, the sweet spot and doesn't allow you to be there because by the nature of who we are, that's not where, what your brain is actually trying to do. And I think that is a really beautiful and powerful way of thinking about this is that then every interaction when I'm meditating is going to be a meaningful one. And it's going to drive connection with anything from thanking our food before we consume or thinking as we're cooking or what, whatever that looks like, that intention now is projected and placed into all of the, the actions uh, that, we're, that we're connected. Wow. I'm going to be needing to do some serious Googling after this conversation because my mind feels like it's blown wide open in a really good way. You've given us a ton of wisdom, but I still want to ask you this question, which is what is one piece of advice that you often pass on to others, Avnish? I was thinking about this. And I'm not sure that I pass advice on to others often, and, and I'm not sure I'm seek for advice. And, and maybe the, the advice part is like, the sooner that you realize your authentic self and you realize what are the values and the expectations that you hold that are driving your behaviors, the easier this becomes. You are now able to evaluate the external environment from a position of knowing rather than allowing for the external environment to be the reason that you're doing that evaluation. And I think that if you do let the environment dictate that, you're already at a bit of a deficit. You're already, it's as if you have something to prove rather than the other way around. And you can think about it for yourself rather than being at the mercy of whatever that is. So that's the other piece. Do that exploration. Understand what your values are. Really explore what do they mean, define them, and then bring out examples of what they actually mean in relationship to the values that you've identified. And that's a lifelong journey where you're evaluating and reevaluating and oftentimes reiterating that, yes, these are the values that are true to me and this is how they show up. But now how you get to bring them to life is going to change because the dynamics and the environment around us are, are constantly changing. That stability within yourself is absolutely essential in order for you to be able to accurately uh, evaluate the things that are going on around you. No one can see me, but my bobblehead is just going. I'm just nodding, <laughs> nodding away <laughs> as you're speaking. And this entire conversation, I feel so grateful that we have made this connection because I really feel that the information that you've shared is impactful to me alone. And I know that it will be impactful to other people as well, but I just want to say thank you so much because I think the authenticity with which you approach things, the confidence and the not just confidence, it seems like in yourself, but also in the world around you is really grounding and quite inspiring to be around. So thank you so much. I just have one final question for you. And this is a question that I always ask and that you know I always ask because you got to hear the nice things that Jim said about you. But in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? It's a really difficult to, to narrow this down to, to one individual or to one person. But each of the people that I was thinking about in relationship to this question has had a different and profound impact on my own trajectory or the way that I've thought about things. But more so for what you're trying to explore, I, I think that the person that you should connect with is, is a friend of mine and a fellow board member. Her name is Crystal Manyfingers. And Crystal grew up in Southern Alberta, comes from a traditional Indigenous upbringing, but has had the ability to integrate into the expectations of society. And her points of view on things like life, and the cycling of our 80-ish years when her horizons are like thousands of years and ancestral connection that are so deep allows for me, when I connect with her, to feel that feeling of insignificance, you know, that feeling of like, yeah, this is just temporary because I see her as this vessel that has such a depth to it that 
in our interactions, I get to connect with her on a surface level, but that surface level reaction is rooted in this massive reservoir. And it's so wonderful to be able to get a perspective from a person like that. Crystal has given me a real perspective on the idea of exploration, my, exploring my own spiritual journey within this and how it has really pushed up against some of my belief systems and the way that I've been approaching things. She, she's that type of person that is going to give you the expanse at which you're like, what I know and what I think I know is really insignificant compared to knowledge holders and knowledge keepers like people like Crystal. Connect with Crystal Many Fingers and just be, be ready to, to go into obscure, difficult, inspiring places because she is a record of what I think humanity has been for hundreds, if not sort of thousands of years. And she's embodying it in this stage of our lives, in that 2021 stage. Wow, what an introduction to Crystal. And I so look forward to connecting with her. Thank you so much. And thank you, Avnish, for spending this time with me and for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I mean, I love the opportunity to discuss these types of things, be open about this types of stuff. The chance to connect at a level where we're able to share this type of information back and forth is what we need to do. So thank you for creating the opportunity for this to happen and just to keep it going. I mean, I, I love what it is that you've done up to now and I'm, I'm so excited to see what's, what's next for you, Kendra. This has been another episode of Paper Napkin. Thank you so much for listening. And as usual, if you like and review us on Apple, uh, iTunes, or on Spotify, it makes all the difference when it comes to us being able to reach a larger audience. Your support means the world. Have a wonderful week and we'll speak to you next week.